Ooh, this recording was not about to get done. Okay. I had I had what I was going to talk about since last week. And then I started writing notes on it. And then I put it away. And days and time slipped by. And I was like, I could record now. But wait, I need to get this for this. And I was like, oh, gosh. And I was like, okay, I'll finally do it so I can post for Truthful Tuesday. It's now Tuesday morning. I'm laying in my bed. And I was like, ooh, you're just going to need to put something out because you're about to start up that procrastination, perfectionism, foolishness again. So you're just going to need to do something. So today's topic will be about trust and trauma. Um, I said I wasn't going to... (laughs) touch on the trauma part yet however um I was led to and so maybe some of the procrastination was feeling like oh I don't want to yet and it's like no that's what you're gonna do (laughs) because I was trying to think of another topic too and it was like nope this is it so that's what this is gonna be about trust and trauma but more so what is trauma? The, the kind of groundwork for it before we dive in too deep. Because um, this is only the... Is this the third episode? Oh, we'll see. All right. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly God. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him, you trust him and you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Um, so that was First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. First um, Peter was written to comfort and encourage persecuted believers back in the days. Um, whether they were being persecuted by um, Pharisees or Sadducees or... Um, the Roman Empire, or so forth. Um, So Peter wrote this letter reminding those who would receive it that their hope in Jesus Christ outweighs the sufferings that they would endure. And he kind of talks about how still believing in this thing that you may have never had interaction with. So he's talking about Jesus. um, So, and, and, you know, going through these trials, like in tribute, it's hard, right? And it sounds very like, oh, okay, Peter, but you don't know. And so when we think about it in today's time, it's like, 
okay so what does that how does what does that have to do with us because this idea of these trials and tribulations will make our faith stronger but I don't feel that way in in fact I don't believe anymore because of that and my question is is it that you don't believe in God or Jesus anymore or you don't trust them um but you do believe in them and there is a difference right kind of what we talked about last time it's faith um this is a relationship between faith and trust that I'm still trying to figure out and so yeah yeah so um I hope you didn't get turned off with the scripture um but listen in So the last episode, I spoke about trust and its relationship with faith. Um, I also mentioned how trauma impacted my relationship with trust and informed my intuition or lack thereof. Um, And I shared that I had testimonies where um, I experienced what I believe to be the great I am protecting me in that situation. The ATV was one of them, but there was also some other experiences that I had. Um, And so I felt that doing an episode on trauma would be too soon, but alas, (laughs) here we go. So I wanted to ground this episode with definitions because I don't want to assume your definition is the same as mine when I talk about trauma and vice versa. And, you know, the use of the word trauma. So a trauma was originally used in the, the um, medical field. And um, it more so was in reference to, like, gunshot wounds or a broken arm or cracked skull or anything that happened to the body that can't heal on its own. It would need additional medical support, stitches, um, surgery etc um and so the mental health field was kind of like hmm what about the the events that these people went through that resulted in a gunshot wound a cracked skull a fractured or a broken limb was also just as painful and caused a certain level of wound and impact to one's brain and 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 the way that they they experienced this this emotional ordeal and so research was done one of the earlier people who did some research with trauma especially with young people was dr perry um and um if you ever want to read about trauma in a way that's conversational and not too um i guess overladen with medical jargon or mental health jargon that's like what um i would recommend the book what happened to you with dr perry and oprah they're kind of having a conversation about trauma and i find it to be very helpful so check that book out anyway so it's this conversation of okay so yeah that person had a bullet wound um and their bullets are you know let's say that wound they took the bullet out they cleaned up the wound they stitched it together and there's a healing physical process and you send them out to the world but now this person hears firecrackers and they're jumping, they're they're pulling out their gun in the middle of the night. Um, and you're like, yo, that was just a dog or that was just a firecracker. And it's like, what is that? You know, and then of course, um, 
vets, right? Like they're, they're coming back and the way that they're responding to things and people are like, oh, they're schizophrenic, they're just crazy. And I don't think our government did a really good job at taking care of our vets who served this country. And so we see a lot of them on the streets, homeless, and people are just ignoring because they seem like crazy people when in fact, they probably were suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic um, syndrome disorder, and was never treated, never taken care of, and then exacerbated. And then of course there's poverty and they can't keep a job, and you know, and it's like a downhill battle for that. And the poverty itself is its own trauma. So I'm, I'm sure that also exacerbated their condition and we see them on the streets and we kind of just say they're that. So I, 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 I so digress y'all. So there are different types of trauma. Um, there's comp- there's, you know, direct trauma, there's complex trauma, there's vicarious trauma. Um, and there's secondary, um, stress trauma. And I think those are the main ones. I'm sure there's other ones that you could break down even more. Um, and so, and so with complex trauma is quite complicated, right? Because it's trauma that you experience almost every day. So think of racism and kind of what I mentioned, such as like poverty. So think of a person that is consistently dealing with some levels of (laughs) being treated inhumane, um, And it's something that you can never really heal from because it keeps happening and it impacts how you feel about yourself, how you feel about people who look like you, um, how you feel about just the way you navigate the world, um, how it impacts your worldview. And it really can, it it really has a toll on you. Um, And, you know, and some people respond to it in a particular way that gives them these particular characteristic traits that people like to put on them, the angry black woman, um, the scary black buck for males, or, you know, you have all these different types of blacks that people like to put on, um, labels they like to put on black people because of how in reality are just responding to trauma, right? Um, and so like black people's relationship with America is complex trauma, uh, microaggressions in all the things. Um, so that's an example of complex trauma. And then you want to think of direct trauma. And that's simply, let's say you're not simply at all, but like your house burns down and <clears throat> you lost everything in that house. And it's, it's something you're in shock. So you're not only grieving all that you've lost, it's also a shock to your system. Um, and, and now you're scared. Like, when you light a candle or someone lights a candle or leave a candle on, you freak out. And people are like, yo, why is she freaking out? Or why is he freaking out? And it's like, well, they're freaking out because the last time they lit a candle or the last time they did something, their whole house burned down. And so you may think that it's illogical for them to respond this way, but it makes sense once you know what has happened to them. And this candle, this light is representing something that happened, right? Um... And so that's what happened to them directly and they're traumatized. And then what I just described as far as them, like, um, I would say the term freaking out, but that's not an appropriate term, but you all, you know, I'm not in my mental hat because it's early in the morning. So, um, but yeah, and that would be considered PTSD, like the, the response to a candle, like they're responding as if their house is burning down and they're not. And so you're looking at them like, yo, what's wrong with you? And it's really like, no, what happened to you? Oh, this happened to you. Okay, I get it. I'll put the candle out. Um, 
and then you can think of um so that's so we had complex we had direct and then um let's talk about vicarious trauma and the best way I can describe vicarious trauma is a relationship between a social worker and their clients or the young people they serve or the older people they serve or whatever population they serve or a therapist and their clients. Um, and it's the idea of hearing other people's traumatic events and you slowly start to respond to things as if it happened to you, right? So it's like, I'm living vicariously through you. I'm living through you. And so vicarious trauma is almost like, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing the trauma that you experience. And I'm, I'm developing certain symptoms as well based off of all the trauma that I have been exposed to through you, right? So that's vicarious trauma. Um, and then secondary trauma, you know what? Even in grad school, I had trouble with secondary trauma because secondary trauma and vicarious trauma to me and my brain kind of seems similar but I'm thinking that secondary uh trauma is give me a moment oh I should have wrote something about it I didn't write that in my notes Jarena see this is why this is why you should just yep um hold on for a moment okay okay so secondary okay so like i said vicarious trauma and secondary um trauma always kind of confuse me so vicarious trauma is when you are experiencing the symptoms of the trauma that you have heard from others and secondary trauma is when you when you feel the stress of um yeah it's, it's like almost the emotional duress that you hear from other people's things and so it's like you are overwhelmed with hearing about so much stress so I guess secondary trauma and vicarious trauma can also both be from um social workers and the work that they do but now that I understand a little okay so vicarious trauma is the symptoms that you experience from hearing about uh, like other people going through something you're going it's as if you're going through it too so think of like pregnancy symptoms um what is it called? Um, pregnancy sympathy symptoms, where your friend is pregnant and they're talking to you about their symptoms and you're experiencing those symptoms as well. So that's similar to vicarious trauma. Like, you know, you're waking up in the middle of the night, you're hypervigilant about things that never even happened to you. Secondary trauma is similar, but you're actually feeling the emotional overhaul of hearing all of these stories. Like, this is just an overwhelming amount of trauma stories after trauma stories after trauma stories, and your body is like stressed with the processing of all those things. Okay, Woo, now we're on track. So now that we've understood all of those, there's newer ones that has been discovered within, I wanna say, I'm not good with these years, seven years, um, maybe even before that, but it's called re religious trauma, you know? Um, and that, people, they feel a way about um, the, the idea of being traumatized religiously, but that's just more so of, you know, you are in a space or you can just call it church hurt, but I feel like sometimes church hurt can minimi minimize one's experience of trauma in a religious environment. So I'll say church hurt is when you tell, let's say, um, the preacher's wife or one of the sisters of one of the leaders, let's say, a, if you're in the one tradition, you may have a deaconess or let's say you're in another tradition and um, the woman is the wife of an elder or a deacon. You tell her something 
that's very close and dear to your heart because you're seeking help and support and next thing you know the whole church knows about it or people start to treat you a certain way and that hurts that like really hurts it's almost like disappointing or she starts treating you in a certain way and it's like man I thought I could come to this place that's like supposed to be like a hospital for those who believe in Jesus and instead I am being you know ostracized or treated unfairly because I am a person that is struggling which I thought this was a place for support for that right so that could be church hurt for some it could it could be traumatizing depending on the extent of how people respond but if you want to think of religious trauma let's think of cults um let's think of um coercion and intimidation and gaslighting and manipulation and using scripture to you know get someone to do certain things and it's just not right and so that could be seen as religious trauma on the extreme end of this thing and so there's that as well and then we know PTSD is the symptoms like you're you're almost going through this thing again um based off of certain triggers that happen and and then there's developmental disorders. So now I'm talking about once you've experienced one of these traumas, these are the things that can happen and result of, right? And so you have your PTSD, which most people would experience overall. Um, and then you have your developmental disorder. Let's say you go through something traumatizing like neglect or abuse at a in your childhood that it 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 kind of interferes with certain developmental milestones that you have um and so let's say you were neglected at a young age um or your parents were very very strict and forced you to be perfect um and if you weren't perfect you got punished um and maybe that punishment wasn't physical the punishment was being ignored or or neglected because of that and whenever you performed and what they saw was perfect you were good so those levels of trauma can can cause developmental disorders right and so now when it comes to your adulthood and you're having relationships with people whether they be romantic friends or in the workplace there's certain things that you're kind of off about um and and it's because you just haven't learned to have healthy relationships with people um and so that's something and then um and then there's just and then yeah and then there's just other forms of anxiety uh frustration burnout compassion fatigue like all these different things are coming all right so hopefully (laughs) i did an okay job at describing trauma and these different forms of trauma from my brain so that when i use it to talk about trust and trauma and trust how that may impact so yeah so last episode I talked about trust and faith and how faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen right like I I have faith that this thing is this thing and I have faith in it and I have hope that I'm right and I'm going to yeah and so that's that and then I'm going to I trust that this thing will do the things that I have faith in it doing. And because of the trust that I have, I then act, right? And then, um, and I take action. And that action can be a form of obedience to the thing I believe in, or I'm taking action because I believe that this is, I'm gonna be all right, right? I have free will, I'm gonna be all right. I feel in tune to have a relationship with God, the great I am. Um, and so I'm going to take action and 
things will work out well. And if it doesn't work out well, oops, maybe I heard wrong, let me take a different action. But you're not paralyzed in fear because you have faith and you have trust in this powerful entity, right? Um, but then it's un- you can't do that. So it's like, well, I said something along like, does your trust um, kind of highlight the levels of faith that you have, right? Um, and I may have over t- overstepped in that area or not. I think I think I handled it as humbly as I could from my personal experience. And and but I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, so can a person still have faith, right? Because Jesus says have faith like a mustard seed and a faith like a mustard seed can cause mountains to move, like literally cause mountains to move. And a mustard seed can develop a huge mustard tree, right? And so if your if your faith is even like a teeny teeny tiny, then you should be able to make moves, right? Um you should be able to do that but there's this trust act there's this trust thing do you have trust in this little in this little seed do you trust it because if you trust it maybe you will water this mustard seed maybe you will do the things that you do to help a tree grow a plant grow whatever and you're not and so what happens maybe it still sprouts up but maybe not as strong or you know you can go to the parable about Jesus um, talking about the sower of seeds and the different types of soil that it lands on. And so, oh, you know what? Holy Spirit, I will go there. Wow, thank you. HS? This is, none of this is in my notes. Um, yeah, okay, so there's a parable where there's a sower and he's sowing seeds. Um, and this is Jesus telling telling the story to the follow, people that followed him just on the street. And they're like, yo, the dude, Jesus, let's go listen to what he got to say today. And so he talks about the different types of soil, right? Um, he talks about the soil that is good and ready and ready to receive the word and crops grow up and it's good and it can feed people and the circle of life can keep going. Then there's one that falls amongst um, the weeds. I'm trying to find the scripture while I say to y'all so I can actually start talking correctly and not from the top of my brain because... Um, I be forgetting stuff. I forget scripture. I feel so bad. Um, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, you need to study. Um, but yeah, it falls against, um, um, let's say it falls against like the rocks. Um, and so it doesn't really get to sprout root a a lot. And then you get the weeds and the, the, the weeds strangle the, the crops. And so they are not able to produce the way they're supposed to. And then some is just on stony ground. Like it doesn't even take root. Right. Um, and I'm thinking of, but Jesus actually said what these different ones represent. Okay. And, um, okay. Real life. I was trying to be, I was going to do a smooth transition. I pressed pause and I was like, let me look for the scripture. And then I'm going to unpause and keep talking, but that's, deceitful and that's not real so I don't know why I felt the need to do that I do know because I wanted to seem like oh look I remembered it and I have it and look how smooth I am but that's not true so I just had to I just had to catch myself with that so I put pause and I found the um, parable so it's Matthew chapter 13 this is the parable of the farmer scattering seed are you okay with me reading scripture I mean if you're not you can just fast forward or um, stop listening so so this is Jesus talking So later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. So Jesus was chilling at the lake. A large crowd was like, yo, that's Jesus. Let me, let me go. So they gathered around him. So Jesus got into a boat. (laughs) Um, And then he sat there and taught um, as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the former parable, such as this one. Can I just first say, 
there's a few instances where people like came to where Jesus was and Jesus got on the boat to go somewhere else or kind of disappeared because he needed a long time and he needed to recharge. So just letting you know that, you know, Jesus didn't have a savior complex. He actually was the savior, but he was also in human form. And so there's times when you get to rest and set boundaries, which I think Jesus did really well and modeled that there's times that you just get to rest. Anywho, so it was all these people. He was like, let me get on the shore. Let me get on the boat. I'll talk to them while they're on the shore. And then when I'm done, I could possibly just keep going. So, um, uh, Oh, is it the farmer scattering seeds? Okay, yeah, th this is it. Because there's so many other ones with the parable of wheat and weeds. Um, and the parable of the mustard seed. This is so great. Oh, man, it's so great. All of it is just right here. Okay, so he said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should, under should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, like, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Which, you know, and so Jesus explains why he uses parables. Um, but then, you know, he kind of, he kind of breaks it down. So, um, <laughs> but I love that though. It's like having that friend that people love listening to, but then they start talking in a way that's like, yo, bro, yo, sis, like, yo, why you keep doing that? Can you just like, just, just say the message, say the message. My dad is like that. My dad talks in parables. I was like, is this a Caribbean Trini thing? Like he either talks in parables or metaphors. Now I got the metaphor gene. I love speaking the metaphors, but it's the parables that, that, that be getting me. Cause I'm like, I can't, I don't, I don't always know. Anyway, so this is the explanation. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. Okay. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's words. Um, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 60, 30, 60, or even hundred times it was planted. Okay, so why did this parable even come to mind when talking about faith, trust, action, slash what could be seen as obedience, um, and then how does trauma play a role in it? Well, I'm thinking that in today's time, we can kind of understand why people do the things they do once we understand the context of their being, right? And so if someone, I'm thinking about these different types of of where these the seed lands and it's like well why is that person like why is their heart or their mind rocky or just pure just stone or you know it's it's among thorns and it gets crowded out or strangled by the worries of life like what what are these things and I was like but what if it's trauma like what if and that's not always the case right so this is not me trying to to do um, scriptural aerobics, yoga, or gymnastics, which some people do. I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just thinking that 
sometimes we have faith like a mustard seed right which is really in the same chapter that he talks about um you know mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds and it becomes the largest of garden plants it grows into a tree and all that stuff and um so if you if you have faith that's really really small but it can do such great things then why is it that your lifestyle represents one of fear of doubt hypervigilance stress anxiety right it's like and then some people will make you feel bad like oh well your faith is not strong enough or big enough or you know you know and they try to make you you start to feel guilty like oh my gosh maybe maybe I don't believe in this thing that much maybe maybe something's wrong with me maybe all the things that I've asked myself I don't know about you um and it's like well yes maybe that is that is true that it could point to your faith but it can also point to some of the things that you've gone through that has broken your trust and so you're unable your your yourself can't be that fertile soil that it could have been for this mustard seed of faith because so much has happened and so because so much has happened you turned into stone or you turned into thorns or you turned into um rock rocks you know um and maybe that's why you know and so trauma that happens to you can impact the level of trust that you have whether it's subconsciously or consciously and um it's just it just makes it makes me sad and so it's like well what happens right because you know you think of sadness and despair and persistent feeling these are persistent feelings of sadness and despair anxiety irritability frustration fear burnout hypervigilance and all of these things and these are symptoms of trauma and there's so much there's so much more being disconnected um isolating yourself like uh it's it's, um what is it sometimes it's even um series of grandiose like you're just you feel so much bigger than life but really that's you overcompensating for feeling the opposite right and so that could be the soil that's like oh I'm so excited yeah and then things happen and it knocks you down quickly because you know you get quickly inflated because that grandiose was more of just a response to trauma so um and so you may say well some of these sentences doesn't sound anything close to faith or trust or instead it's opposite you know you could say that but I'm just saying that once traumatized the brain changes the way decisions are made and um and immediate subconscious responses to events like this is what happens to the traumatized brain and so your your prefrontal cortex becomes suppressed right and and it's less capable of controlling fear and and then instead you are staying stuck in a reactive state right and it's it's challenging to determine between past and present so sometimes it seems the trauma seems very present things or people that trigger past events are seen as threats and so your brain is staying in a state of hypervigilance and so a traumatized brain i mean and and, and research has shown that it does even more than that right because we already know about developmental um, disorder we know about all these different things um and so when i think of the different traumas that I've gone through, I had to ask myself like, okay, I do remember the great I am protecting me. I'm, I'm going to share one trauma. So this is um trigger warning. Um, I'm going to share a trauma that I've shared with most people. Um, and I think this is my first experience with trauma at this level as I've 
grown and learned more about trauma, I realized that I've been traumatized before that or have experienced some levels of trauma before that. But this is my first like very clear cut case of trauma. Um, so I was in Atlanta. I went to Clark Atlanta University, HBCU, Historically Black College Universities. It's, that's what HBCU stands for, but we were a university. Um, and so I went to Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, you're in the summertime, I usually come home. And this one summer, I was like, I want to stay in Atlanta. I want to work. I want to make money. I don't want to depend on my mom for money. I want to just be independent and pay my bills and save up money and all the stuff. So I, I came back home just for a little bit, went back to Atlanta, and I worked. And I got a job. And um, I got that job. That was pretty cool. But then there was a restaurant next door that was even better, um, Houston's. And so I was like, ooh, Houston's is fancy. And, you know, I didn't realize how vain I was, but I was vain. I was been, I've been vain for quite some time. And I was like, oh, I want to work for Houston's. It's smooth. It's cool. It's chic. It's black chic. A lot of celebrities go here. Cool. So I interviewed to be at Houston's. And so I was a hostess at Houston's. Um, that was like such a stressful training process because everyone was so like particular. I was like, oh my gosh, it's more than just a smile. It's like, you have to do so much anyway. And so I was working there and I started coming home really, really late at night because while I was training for Houston's, I actually still was at, I think I was working at Ruby Tuesdays next door. I'm not sure. It was in Buckhead. Um, and so I was, I would leave one job and then go to the other to train so I can still have some level of income coming in. I didn't drive, I didn't have a car. So of course I took the train, I forgot the train system in Atlanta. What is it called y'all? Anyway, so I took the train home. And so I was coming home late. And um, so I finally transitioned from my other job and I was like officially, I think it was my official first week at Houston's and um, and so um, one of the guys that I knew that also was staying around, he offered to come pick me up. He said, instead of you waiting, instead of you walking home late at night, why don't you just call me and I'll pick you up from the train station? And then my mother also, being my mom, called one of my old friends that I used to hang out with um, from uh, freshman year who was in the same dorm with me who lived in a, ho- in a hotel an apartment complex very close by was like well in those late nights can she just come over there and stay with you all so I had two options right I can go there and stay with these um, girls that I knew in uh, my freshman year stay there overnight and in the morning just go ahead and go over to my apartment you know sleep shower do whatever I need to do and then start my day or I can call and get picked up to be taken back to my apartment. Well, for those of you who, you know, know some inkling of me, I like to be independent um, and do things on my own. Or if things doesn't work out the way I want it to, then I'm going to make it work the way I want it to. So I didn't choose the option with staying with the um, young ladies. I don't think. I don't think I called them. Or maybe I called and texted them. They didn't respond. I don't know. But I, I'm thinking I didn't reach out to them. And so I then went to, I called um, the guy, I called him a few times. Um, I think I called two or three times and he didn't pick up. I sent a text. And so I was like, I'm not waiting here. Like I just, I got very impatient. I was like, I'm not waiting this. I think this is more dangerous just standing here in the dark. So Atlanta, uh, where I stayed in Atlanta, cause I can't, I stayed like on campus, but off campus. 
And it was like this dark alley kind of place and it's an abandoned building and it's just a whole bunch of like grass on the other side. So it's not a safe place to walk down. But for me, it didn't seem unsafe. It's just like, okay, it's an abandoned building, there's grass. I'm just gonna walk through here. I'm gonna hit the main street and I'm gonna keep walking and I'll be good. So I was like, let me call my friend. So I call my girl Keisha and we're talking on the phone while I'm walking in the dark. Now, some of you may say, why are you walking down this place in the dark all by yourself, whatever, whatever. Um, long story short, I didn't realize that somebody was watching me and came up to me. And next thing you know, there's a gun pointed to my head and they were like, drop the phone. I said, sir, and I hung up the phone. Okay. The reason it's important that I said, sir, and I hung up the phone um, is because it let Keisha know that I ran into somebody and I abruptly hung up. Now, first, she wasn't sure if it was like I hung up by accident and I was talking to somebody I knew or whatever. She wasn't sure because also I don't have the best phone etiquette at nighttime. Um, but it was odd enough for her to wait, call, realize I didn't call her back, call a few other people. She called my ex-boyfriend in Alabama to see if he spoke to me because um, that's how desperate she got because she didn't really like him at the time. But she called him anyway because she was like, well, I know y'all not together anymore, but maybe I were talking or maybe she reached out to you. Just something. I'm just trying to figure out. She called the gentleman that was supposed to pick me up from the um, the train station. Um, and he was like, no, I don't know where she is. Or she was like calling around looking for him. And they were like, we don't know where he is or whatever. But if we see him, we'll let him know that you're looking for him and you're looking for Drina. So she starts to search, you know, because she starts to realize something goes, something is wrong. During this process, a lot of things happen. I'm going to spare you all the details, but I was missing for about, I want to say three hours. Not sure. During this time of being held at gunpoint, um, cause I was taken into like this abandoned building to the outside where there's just like grass and trees and just whatever. Um, as I'm sitting there at first, I'm really scared. And then I just felt this uncanny sense of calm. Um, you know, there's a scripture that says like, God would give you peace beyond understanding. And it did not make any sense while I was so calm because here is this man with a gun. It's real. Pointing it to my forehead, pointing it to my spine, saying very weird things that he has done to girls in the past in similar situations. And I'm sitting there kind of calm. There's one point he doesn't see my face. I'm like literally rolling my eyes and I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels like I'm in a show where they're boasting about the things that they've done to scare their victim. And so I, I'm talking to God and I'm like, God, all I ask is that he doesn't mess up my face and he doesn't rape me. But if he has to shoot me, can he shoot me in my left or my left arm or my left foot? Like I, cause I need my right hand you know like I'm really trying to like bargain like if these bad things are gonna happen Lord can I just ask you to intercede and like let these bad things happen on this scale um because I I just knew rape was out of the question I knew it was out of the question this could not happen to me as you heard I started sharing one of my traumatic events um that transpired while I was in Atlanta Georgia in the next episode, I will go ahead and wrap that up. Uh, the reason I split the episodes is because it was getting too long. And um, our attention spans are short, y'all. And so I want you all to be able to listen and take it in. And then also, as I continue on with the story and as it gets, you know, a little bit more intense, you know, we get to have a break. And so this is y'all's break. 
And then next time you will hear part two of Trauma and Trust, um, what happened to me, how I felt, thoughts that I have, um, and kind of wrap up uh, this, this segment. I don't know, this topic of trauma and trust and see what's going to happen. Um, and maybe part two, or I mean, part three or part four, or part five, who knows? It will, you know, I need to know by now that I'm going to say what I'm told, told to share and say. All right. <laughs> Thank you.